Everybody, welcome. I'm Pastor Bruce, and we're all glad to be here today, aren't we? Woohoo! Yeah, I know it. That uh, ice storm lasted way longer than I think I ever thought it would, and it just wouldn't melt, wouldn't go away. But we're here because the Lord has provided for us another gracious day of worship and celebration to lift up our hearts and encourage us to be a blessing to one another and to express our thanksgivings to God. As a special Sunday in so many different ways, uh, the Tunisia team is going to be sharing with us after worship in the Fellowship Hall some of their adventures in ministry there and also opportunities to look at some items for purchasing. And as well, we have ordination and installation today for elders and deacons, so it's a very special day. It's also a very special day because it's uh, my annual sort of once a year, let's talk about giving. Now you're all going to leave. And no, you're not. Because it's really not about money. It's about a love for God, isn't it? Ultimately, that's where it all lands. And so I want to highlight that today to get us all on the right footing as this year gets started. Because I'm late to the game. I uh, had COVID for the one Sunday I missed. And then the ice storm wiped out another one. And it feels so good to be back. <laughs> I can't thank God enough for uh, providing so I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Let's bow our heads and let's pray and let's get started with the right foot. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here today. Thankful, Father, for roads that allow us to drive and walk safely. We're thankful, Father, for the privilege of worshiping, to be refreshed and encouraged and blessed and enriched. We thank you, God, that we're here not just for our own spiritual nurture and our own spiritual gratification in you and in Jesus, but Lord, to glorify your name. We love you, and we're here because we love you. And we thank you, God, that your love endures forever, that your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy have touched our hearts in Jesus Christ, and you've given us hope and meaning and purpose. And we thank you, God, that here this morning we can worship you. We're blessed to do it. We know it. You've called us together to celebrate you and to get on, Lord God, with the ministry and mission that you've given us for your glory and for your wonderful purposes that others will receive and believe the good news of Jesus Christ too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 <laughs> hey, let's stand so up. So be it stretch a little bit, get our worship on here this morning. I know when we were rehearsing this morning, it just felt so good to be in the house and singing to the Lord, and yes. we just want this to be a real time and a real blessing for y'all, and a real time to give glory and praise to God. Here we go. Starting off with a favorite, we call it an oldie, but it's not that old. Here we go.
because you are our God, Father, and you have called each one of us to, your, to be part of your family. And we're grateful, Father, that we can come here this morning and worship you, worship you freely. And Lord, we want to worship you with all we have. In Jesus' name. We were waiting without hope, without light, till of heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from the throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the
gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless
Father, it is such a gift and a, such a wonderful experience to know that we are in Christ Jesus by your grace. God, you called us out of the darkness into the light. That we heard the good news, we received it, we believed it, and that came from above, Lord God. It came by the power of your Holy Spirit that touched our hearts, convicting us, Lord God, of our sin and our need for a Savior. And God, you brought us out into a loving, wonderful, hope-filled and blessed relationship with you. And thank you, Father, that together as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, with siblings around the world who know you and love you, that we know your love. We know the purposes and the plans that you've described for us in your word. We know, Lord God, that we can wear Christ, being in Jesus. We thank you, God, that when we give, it's really not about technique or amounts or things. Really, Lord God, it's our very being. We give ourselves to you, first and foremost. May everything we say and do bring glory to your name. Thank you, Father, that when we fall short, your grace is more than sufficient. Your free gift to us is life in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, and that deep, rich love and peace that goes beyond any understanding this world could provide and anything we can even think of. You are amazing, and we thank you, God, for who you are and what you do and what you're going to do. Lord, you provide for all of our needs, and we are truly thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. I'd like to invite our elders and deacons, whether you're active or getting, getting installed or ordained today, everybody that's an elder or deacon active or will be active, come on up here to the front, and we'll do the ordination installations. Um, as they're on their way up, how many of you are familiar with Narcan, you know, with all the fentanyl and all that business, right? Well, the church is going to sponsor a training event. Uh, we've got Narcan on premises here in case it's ever needed. January the 27th on Saturday from 10 to 12, put on by the Oregon City Police and Fire Departments. Um, 10 to 12, there won't be any uh, activity like, you know, you do CPR on a dummy. We're not going to do that kind of thing with Narcan. But you need to know how to use it. You need to know what happens when you administer it, what kind of reactions you might experience, and that kind of thing. So it is this Saturday, Janu or this Saturday January 27th, 10 a.m., here at the church. And uh, surrounding churches and community members will be here as well. So, yep, yep. G Gabe's here. He's really here shortly. Yeah, he made it. Okay, so uh, kind of scrunch into the middle here and... Dan and Jeff, maybe because you're being ordained today, maybe you can take center place here. All right. For those that are, uh, for the deacons being installed, throw a hand in the air. If you're being, so they can, everybody can see who you are, so they can distinguish you. Okay. Some are shorter than others, so you can see them. Okay. Yep. And then for the elders that are being installed today, can you raise your hand so we can see you? All right. The two of you are being ordained today, which is a real special gift. Are you able to kneel for us? Yes. Okay. We'll do that in a minute. Okay. Um, for the ordination, these are for the two of them. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms of the Church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Now, when we ask that question, it's a commentary question. 
do you agree that it's a good commentary? You don't have to agree with every single thing in the Westminster, but you've got to have biblical reasons to have a discussion, right? So the Bible comes first. The Westminster's a confession. I want everybody to know that. Okay, will you? I do. I do too. Yeah, that's a good thing. In fact, I disagreed with four things when I got ordained. They still let me through. So, I, you know, it's a, <laughs> all right. Uh, do you promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with the system of doctrine as taught in the scriptures or in the Westminster faith and catechisms, you will on your own initiative make known to your presbytery or to the church the change that's taken place in your views since the assumption of this vow today? In other words, we're not going to hound you down. We're all trusting that we're going to be straight up about it. Do you affirm and adopt the essentials of our faith without exception? I do. Do you subscribe to the governance and discipline of the church? I do. Do you promise subjection to your fellow presbyters in the Lord or elders? I do. Yeah. Have you been induced, as far as you know in your own heart, to seek the office of elder from the love of God or and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? So nobody twisted your arm? Oh, man, that's exciting. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on your account? Praise God. Right. Praise the Lord. Now, I'd like to have you kneel for us. And I'm going to have a prayer of blessing. Would you like to gather around them? We'll put hands on them, and then we'll install everybody shortly. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, these two have felt and received and believed your call upon their lives to be elders here for this congregation. On behalf of the church, Lord God, and the church worldwide, they are leaders by your calling, by your gifting. And I ask now, as we all do, that your Holy Spirit fall upon them with great blessings, enrichment, spiritual gifts that are astounding and for your glory. May we truly be a blessing to them as they will be a blessing for us all. God bless them each. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may now rise. <laughs> you got it. Creaky knees, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Okay, I'd like to install those now that are going to be installed. Um, will you seek, for all of you being installed today, will you seek to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a ruling elder or deacon, whether personal or interpersonal, private or public, and endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the congregation of which God is making you overseers and ministers. Yep. And are you now willing to accept the call of the church as a ruling elder or deacon to rely upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties required of that office? That's not an easy thing sometimes, is it? Yeah, because you don't know. We're just making ourselves available. Okay, Lord, here we are. Now, for the congregation, as leaders of the church, they're not, we're not saying, good, we've elected them, now they can do it. Their responsibility is to help us engage in the life of Christ, to be involved. We're all deacons anyway, the Bible says. The deacons are there to model for us deaconing and inviting us into that ministry. So keep your eyes and ears open for those opportunities and look after each other. And the elders are more of the administrators and financial gatekeepers, so to speak, managing budgets and facilities and programs and ministries. But what's most important is that they honor and glorify God in all the decisions that they make, right? And so they have what we call a commission night, and that's our opportunity to work with them in doing those very things so that they can feel even more blessed and successful and supported. 
So for the congregation, I got some questions for you. Are you, the members of the congregation, ready to receive them as your deacons and ruling elders? Do you promise to submit to them in matters of spiritual discipline and to receive with humility and love the word of truth? Do you promise to support them with your prayers, to give encouragement and assistance in every way as they seek to instruct you in the things of the Lord and to lead you in the building of the kingdom of God in this place? Do you commit yourselves to fulfill the terms of the call you've extended and to make provision for their needs that the name of Christ might be glorified? Praise God. The best thing we can do is pray for them. Pray, 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 pray. So important. All right. By the authority of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and the Presbytery of the Pacific Northwest, I declare that you have been ordained to the office of ruling elder or deacon and that you have been duly and properly installed as ruling elder or deacon of this congregation in accordance with the Word of God and the laws of the church. As such, you are entitled to be given support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we are so pleased for all of you. And thank you for those that have uh, served and are going off. We're really grateful for your ministries. Praise the Lord. Let's give them all a real thankful <laughs> praise. All right. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you. I look forward to more. More coming, man. It's going to be awesome. Awesome, awesome. Jeff, I'll give you a hug, man. All right. Yeah. Make sure you say hi. Just another reminder, the uh, Tunisia group will be sharing with us after worship in the fellowship hall, their experiences there, and I hope that you'll come down. They've got some slides and things or some movies videos, things they want to show you, so I hope you do that. Kids are free to head down the hallway now for Sunday school, and Gabe's there for middle high schoolers. And Rachel, good to see you. For those of us that are uh, here in the sanctuary remaining, this is a message that I give every year. Um, I don't talk about money very often because I tend to preach through books, right? And when a book like Romans talks about giving, then I'll talk about giving. But otherwise, I want to stay topically relevant to the books that we are working through in our sermon series, so I'll be returning to Romans next week. This was intended to be preached several weeks ago, but I ended up with COVID and then the ice storm and everything happened. But usually in January, how many of us tend to think that when January rolls around, we think about, okay, this is a new year, 2024, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to get rid of? What do I want to get get out of my system, so to speak, like Jenny put us on a new diet this morning, and I'm still trying to figure out how that's going to work. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see what kind of results we have in 2024. I'm hoping I can make it through the sermon. We don't know what will happen. Have you, guys, have you guys ever had to crunch down on uh, pomegranate seeds in a, in a smoothie? It's just not right. I don't know. What it, <laughs> yeah. But this is my opportunity to bring to the forefront something that um, I think in my history uh, as a church attender and a member of various churches, I, I've grown up in the church. I've heard a bazillion sermons, been to many seminars on giving, and I think over time what probably made the biggest impression on my thinking until my own ministry was technique. Um, how to handle the offering plates when they would go around, or what is a tithe, nutsy-boltsy sort of things. Um, if there was a fundraising drive, like pledge drives, 
Um, we had saddlebags and stuff like that that would go around. I mean, just all these different techniques and things. But what was missing, I think, was why bother? Why? The how was very relevant and very pertinent and practical, and I think I had the how down pretty good. But it was the heart, it was the motivation that I think was sometimes missing early on in my thoughts about giving. In fact, it was Jenny when we were first married who said, I think we should tithe, and I'll explain what that is for those that don't know. And, I, and at first I thought, because we're newly married, we're making very little money, rent was eating up like a third or a quarter of our income, which wasn't that high, and our family couldn't figure out how we survived on the food budget that we had, but we did. And it was just a, a test of faith, and I wrote that first check with, with her, with me on that, and when the offering plate went by, I put that check in there, and I almost pulled it back out. It was just this, <laughs> and, but the minute the check went on, it, I had just peace about it, and ever since then, we've tithed. We've never not tithed, even, even if our income was up or down, it didn't matter. And I want to explain why. It's not the technique, it's not the house, it's not the details of the mechanics, it's not the budget and the percentages and how to save and all that. This is really a message about heart. And I'm going to pull from various scriptures seven different points about giving in one fell swoop. You could say I could preach seven sermons on this, but I think I'd like to you to see the entire encapsulation of what the Bible says is the means and the heart, and the attitude, and the reason why we would want to give. So I'm not going to be pulling teeth. I'm not going to be worried about what people might think about this message because it will come from within you from where your heart goes. I can't change your heart, but the Holy Spirit does, right? And so I trust the Holy Spirit will bring these words to fruition in your own homes, in your own hearts, right? So let's pray first, and then we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this wonderful scripture that you've given us, the entirety of your word, that tells us about the heart of giving, that if the heart's not right, not right with you, not with love in our hearts, giving is just a thing, and it doesn't matter for eternity. It doesn't give you glory. Lord God, we pray that all of our hearts, my heart, everyone here, everybody online, all of our hearts will be in alignment with Jesus and the love of Christ will fill everyone and overflow so that others can receive and believe the good news too. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says this, but just as you excel in everything, now he's really complimentary here to a church that's really had some rough times. Now he's saying, you excel in everything, you're amazing in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. Then there's this little pause. Paul says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Sometimes we think giving is sort of that, that caboose at the end of the train that we just don't want to talk about or think about or just have discussed. It, it gets awkward. Everybody thinks, oh my goodness, if somebody's here for the first time, what are they going to think? This is really getting to the heart of the matter that giving is about grace. God is a God of grace. It's a free gift. It's not done by merit or coercion or tax write-offs or anything else. It's just because it's a gift that we give to God for God's ministries and services he's gifted us. 
Uh, J.L. Kraft, who was the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, he said this, The only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I've given to the Lord. Would you agree? I think so. My, our friend Galen uh, Dowdy, who uh, married us all those many years ago and was here for my installation uh, by the grace of God 28 years ago, he finally succumbed to cancer uh, on Tuesday last week. And we miss him very much. He was a very important figure in my life and uh, inspirational and all kinds of experiences. He's the guy that shared a toothbrush with me on a backpack trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're out for an entire seven days, you just, something's got to give. And he was very gracious. I was the one that forgot my toothbrush. So he was very gracious to me, and he gave. And so we've been uh, tight like that ever since, right? We shared a toothbrush. He's a special man, and he would say to me, you know, you've just got to trust God. You've just got to trust God with every detail in ministry, every detail of your life. He had some really rough experiences, but he was a giver, and I really appreciate that about him. And now that he's in heaven, think about the blessings of his giving. He invested into other people's lives. He mentored people one-on-one. -on -one. He gave. And now that he can't give in that way anymore, what's left is eternal consequences and results, right? And so it just brings to my mind how important it is that what we do today has such a living impact that goes beyond our very lives. And that's something that we want to keep in mind, that we excel at this grace of giving. So why do we give? Well, it's God's nature. God is a God of grace. And grace means, of course, free gift. It's just simply a, here you are, I love you, it's a free gift for you. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, buried, rose again from the grave, ascended into heaven, is coming back someday. All that's grace-based, the heart of God. And so when we give, we're giving in the nature of God. It's grace. Not to get something back, but to give for giving's sake graciously like God gives. And in fact, Paul equates our financial giving with God's grace. It's not meant to be separated. So when we give, we don't give for personal benefit. We don't give to the Lord's ministries to receive something in return. We don't give to get. Grace is simply, I give because I love. God has loved me and I want to love like God does. If we don't give in that way, we're not going to grow in Christ. We're not going to be Christ-like. We can be sort of Christ-like, but if we want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, then the motivation for everything we do is grace-based and filled with love. So the first point <clears throat> in your outlines is this. Give yourself first to God, then others. 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and they did not do as we expected. He's He's expressing surprise. There was a congregation that was asked to help with the needs in Jerusalem, and they gave in excess of what Paul could have ever imagined. But here's what they did. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. Not some fundraiser plan with a goal in mind, but what God willed, 
they were willing to do. But they gave themselves first to God. And I think that's such a critically important piece. If we're not committing our very bodies, our very being to God's service, then all that other stuff is just doing religion. And it doesn't count. God does not appreciate that, doesn't experience that in the same way with love that we could give if we gave like God gives. Someone once said, money is so intimately related to the possessor that we cannot give money without giving ourselves. Right? Have you ever panicked when you couldn't find your purse or your wallet? I have. Yeah. But I could lose lots of other things. It doesn't worry me quite so much. There's such a connection to our lives with the economy that we have and the things that we have, and maybe it's a fixed income, maybe there's an increased salary, whatever it is, but we're really engaged in all of that, and I'm sure it crosses our minds from time to time. Tax time is coming up in April, right? Yep, that's on my mind too, and so I'm waiting for all the forms to come in. You just can't get away from it. It's always going to be there. How many of you, I went to uh, Burgerville the other day and brought home dinner keep things simple. Do you know how much that costs now? Blows my mind. I, I just couldn't believe it. Incredible. But it's part of our lives. Now, the Macedonian Christians weren't uh, immunized from inflation or expenses. They weren't free from concerns about income and providing for their families. They were real people with real opportunities and real jobs and real expenses. But they were also very generous beyond what Paul would have expected from that community. And again, what's the key? They gave themselves first to God, not Paul, not to a ministry, not to a church. They gave themselves first to God. God, what do you want? How do you want me to manage things that you've given me? How do you want this accomplished? So you can see it's prayer-based, it's discernment-based, and it's I give you all of me first and foremost. I once, uh, when we used to pass offering plates, and since COVID we haven't done it, um, and maybe we, we've thought about it, we've, we've been doing some talking about it, but when we, if we can picture a plate going past us, could we put our two feet in the plate first. That's our offering. That's more important than anything else. That we're here for God. Use me, God. I'm here for you. No slick campaigns. No guilt. No programs. No percentages. It comes from the heart. Our identity in Jesus. Only God can move us to excel in the grace of giving. No sermon can do it, no program can do it, no appeal can do it, no bar charts can do it. In fact, one church had a, a fundraising program. They put up a, a bar chart with all the bars with the giving. You know, this is this year, and then this was this year, and this was this year, and so many people give so much. And then, you know what they called it? Let's go bar hopping. Let's come up one more bar. Look at, aim for that next bar up, so they called it bar hopping. Well, you know, it's cute, it's clever, it's funny, it's got some humor in it, and I get it, but ultimately... The giving shouldn't be based on bar charts or aims or goals. It all should be rooted in the Lord. We give ourselves first to the Lord. Everything else just flows. It's so much simpler. So what opens up our hearts to the grace of giving? First, you want to give yourself completely to God. Have you ever done that? I'm all yours, Lord. Everything, all of me, 
all that you've blessed me with, uh, it's all yours, Lord. I get it. You're the manager, or you're the owner. I'm the manager of it. Help me to serve you. That's what we want to do. I can't change your hearts or minds about giving. I can only steer you in the right direction, but the Holy Spirit will do more than I could ever do. The Holy Spirit touched my life. There were times where things were tight. There were times where there were tears shed in the Martin house about how in the world are we going to make ends meet. But through it all, we kept that faith in the Lord going and the love of God in our hearts, and God has seen us through all of those. And I, I thank God for his provision. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God, not your pastor, not your elders, not the bars on the bar graph, not any giving statements. It is God who works in you to do what? To will and to act according to his good purposes. If God's got a good purpose in mind and we give ourselves wholly to the Lord, then nobody needs to appeal for funding. The needs need to be known, the, the, the expressions need to be there, the budgets need to be shared, but it's not meant to be coercive or guilt-laden or arm-twisting in, in any way. It's just, this is, these are the details. Now you pray about it, you think about it, and what does God want done? What good thing does God want done? That's our aim. So when it comes to giving, consider yourself the most important offering, first and foremost above all else, because God is more interested in receiving you than anything else we could give him. Secondly, give thoughtfully. Give thoughtfully. There's a picture of a snowflake I want to show you. Does that look a little familiar recently, you know? Sure does. Boy, I, when, when they were forecasting the weather, I heard snow. Did anybody get snow? I got little teeny ice pellets, right? What's really funny about those little tiny ice pellets is, would one ice pellet keep us from church? No, it didn't, wouldn't. I mean, big deal, right? But there was enough of them collectively that my driveway, I broke off a chunk. It was a half an inch thick of ice. I had to bring it in the house and show, show my family. Look at that. This is incredible. Uh, not as bad as the post-traumatic stress that we all have from a couple of years ago where everything fell apart, but traumatic enough. Collectively, it had a tremendous impact. And so sometimes it's hard for us to imagine that our lives can have any impact. We're like that single little bit of ice bit that fell, but we're not alone. In fact, Hebrews would say, don't neglect to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing. Don't just be that little ice crystal out there on your own. You're going to melt. Be together. Hold together. It has a greater impact on everybody around you. I want to show you just a funny little clip about a guy who uh, may have experienced something like we did. Let's watch. That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of reminds us of what we've been through a little bit, right? 
Uh, I, I think sometimes, you know, like the old illustration of when, when you're visiting somebody that hasn't been in church for a long time or they've been online forever and they're, they're not used to having community, you can kind of cool off and you, you lose that sense of vibrancy in Jesus. The flame tends to dampen, the, the coals get kind of dim. And what we need to realize is we're not out in the cold on our own, scraping away to no effect and find out that it's pretty useless in the long run. When we're together, there's a huge impact. And you might think, well, I don't have much to give. Maybe um, your income has dropped. Maybe you've lost your job. You know, you only give what God provides. You don't give what God has not provided. And so in this instance, we need to realize that collectively we all make a difference, whether it's a, a little or a lot that we give. Collectively, that's what God sees is so vitally important. For example, just a simple little illustration. If 50 people gave $5 more a week, and I'm not saying that's our goal. They're not talking about an aim or a goal or a technique, just an illustration. But if 50 people gave $5 more a week, that's $12,000 a year. Just that little bit, but it adds up in total. So don't think that you're giving yourself to the Lord and any resources God provides you with, you're sharing and passing along for others, doesn't make a difference. It does. It does. You don't have to be a millionaire to be significant. It's what's in your heart that's significant and how that comes out. That's what's so important. We don't forget. So there's really a practical part to this. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians this. On the first day of every week, which would be Monday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In other words, forethought. Think ahead. Plan ahead. Don't just be caught out at the last minute. Set it aside. Save it up. So when Sunday comes, you're ready. Now, some of us are online. I think I was told 40% of us give online. Uh, Jenny and I are in that crowd, kind of started when COVID hit. But I'm still thoughtful, and I still look at what we're doing, and I still pay attention to it. It's not out of sight, out of mind. It's the heart at work, and I'm grateful for that. Other than that, you might wonder, well, how does this church give anything anyway? Well, we've got a little box in the back. It's not very splashy or very noticeable, but it's there. And if you want to bring a check or cash or whatever, you can just stick it in a little slot, and that's great. And the counters count it, and they're the only ones that know, and you get a giving statement at the end of the year. But we give because we want to. I give because we want to. And Jenny and I are in agreement. Now, a couple's out of agreement. Uh, my mom and dad, mom's here. Dad and mom had different ideas about giving. Uh, dad grew up in poverty in Chicago in a bad part of town. John Dillinger was actually his neighbor. And he heard the shots fired when Dillinger was killed by the G-men. So dad had that rough start. And there's this ingrained sense of, well, he didn't even like to tip waitresses or waiters. It was just a hard part in his life. So mom and dad talked about giving, and thoughtfully. And mom said, well, I'll tell you what. I will tithe what I make, and you can decide what you want to do with what you make. And they came to an agreement on that. The key piece is thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. Consideration. Discussion. Conversation. That's what the Bible says we want to do. So it's not how we give, but that we thoughtfully 
give. Then thirdly, give willingly and cheerfully. Give willingly. No coercion, no arm twisting, no appeals that hit you in the emotional pocketbook and you go, man, I just, I just felt so moved. I had to give. And then you go home and you go, why did I do that? That's not what the Bible wants us to do. God does love a cheerful giver, but one who is not leaving their money at home again. Uh, the cheerfulness means thoughtfulness. Then comes the cheerful willingness that the Bible expects. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each man should give what he's decided in his heart, your core being, your identity in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, like I kind of did the first time I gave. Remember? I almost wanted to pluck it back out. There was some reluctance. They're like, did it anyway, and after that, I've never been reluctant again. That was just my personal experience. So was I a sinful giver the first time around? Not exactly cheerful? Oh, probably, but I was married, newly married, and I didn't want that to go sideways. But after that, it, it transformed my heart. It was a different experience for me after that. And maybe because I grew up with Dad, I don't know. But each man should give what he decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Nobody makes you. For God loves a cheerful giver. And if you've been in church for a while, you know what the Greek is for cheerful, right? Hilarious. It doesn't mean you're, you're shouting with hilarity and you're losing your mind and you're laughing your head off when you, you give your offering. It just means that your heart is warm and all in and there's no division in your soul. And you want to give because it just feels good, it's right, it's God's gift to the world through us. And that's something we want to bear in mind as we go forward. So don't feel guilty about what you give or what you don't give. You think about it thoughtfully, willingly, cheerfully. This is your call from God. I've said before that I would rather have a financially impoverished church that's spiritually wealthy than a rich church which is spiritually in poverty. Wouldn't you? Because when you've got a spiritually rich congregation, the money is not even a problem. Because everybody's thinking, what can we do for God? What is God up to? How can I be a part of that? Where can I help out? Where can my blessings from God be applied? And that's where the heart comes in. Willingly and cheerfully, I want to participate. And that's what God looks at and really appreciates and loves very much. So it's a harmony, isn't it? No division in your soul. You've thought about it. You've prayed about it. You've discussed it. You're willing. And then you find out that, you know what, that love of God drives me to be willing and able. And I am happy to do it. Happy to do it. God is watching our hearts, not our giving statements. That's what's going to count the most. So give willingly, cheerfully. And I will say something that uh, the leaders have never critiqued me on uh, before, and they shouldn't. There's no reason to. But I will say this. If you cannot give willingly and cheerfully, don't give. Because this is a spiritually rich house. Don't do it. Because it's just religion. What we want is love. We want love from in here to express out there. That's what really sings. 
And so if your heart's been hardened or it's in the wrong spot, pray about it, think about it, discuss it, talk to me about it, whatever you want to do with it, but you'll not be coerced by me. You won't be coerced by anybody here. This is you and God, and it comes from the soul. Then give lovingly, the fourth point. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasure, and he also saw a poor widow put in two very small, small copper coins, really tiny. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, you might think that that's a message about give it all to the Lord, you know, just empty the bank account. Go broke for God. That's not what was happening. This poor widow who barely made ends meet was facing a religious institution that set a minimum giving level. One widow's might, one little coin was no longer enough. The religious leadership said, if you want to give, you better at least give two. And if you can't give two, I'm sorry, we won't accept anything less. So here's this woman who loves God with her entire being. Her soul is undivided. She's all in. And now she's told she has to give a certain minimum amount. But her love for God is greater than the coercion that was being practiced by the priests at the time. And Jesus sees this, and he upends everything, and he says, that poor woman gave more than anybody else. He's not talking about the amount, is he? He's talking about the heart. That woman's heart was totally aligned with the love of God, and she gave. If that's what she had to do, She'd do it. Was it right what they did to her? No. In fact, Jesus says in another place, they devour widows' homes. Shame on them. Wrong. But what's in her heart? Good love for God. What a noble example she has. So let me ask you a serious question here. Would you give the same amount you do now or be willing to give more generously or graciously if the government didn't allow a tax deduction? They had no tax deductions for her. They had no tax deductions for anybody. In fact, the tax collectors took far more than they should have. It was hard. But they gave. And only the love of God can do that. If your giving doesn't stem from your love of God, then I'm going to say it again. Then just don't give. Then give generously. If your heart's in the right place, undivided, you love the Lord, you know the Lord loves you, and you understand that we give only as God provides. If you think I'm going to give XYZ numbers of dollars per month for God's ministry, and then you lose your job, guess what? That amount's going to change. Unless the Lord puts something else on your heart. You give what God provides. That's so key. A Christian author contacted NBC for a TV news story about his book, 40-Day Spiritual Journey to a More Generous Life, and it became a, a bestseller. When the reporter interviewed him, she asked, so you think God wants everyone rich? He said, no, I don't believe that. 
She was a little surprised and then asked, well, what do you believe? And he responded, I believe that everyone needs to learn to become more generous with whatever God has given to them. She then asked, well, didn't your book become a bestseller and make you rich? He replied, no, it helped me be more generous. Isn't that the right attitude, right? God provides, I'm blessed, I want to be a blessing. I want to be gracious in what I do. Deuteronomy 14 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. When we, when we give, we don't give the leftovers. We give the first fruits or the first batch, trusting that God will provide thereafter. And that's the key piece to revering the Lord, to recognize that without God, I couldn't do this. I wouldn't have an income. I wouldn't be able to provide for my family. Whether I'm in a, a mud hut in Africa or in my own suburb or wherever I'm at, God provides. And I want to revere God for that and thank God for that. How many of you know what the word steward means? You've heard me share that before. Steward is two words. Sty, ward. What is a sty? It's where the pigs are. What is a ward? The one who manages the estate on behalf of the owner. So we are stewards, or sty wards, the keeper of the master's pigs. And in that sense, then, we don't own the estate, but we're blessed to be on the estate and to take care of the master's land and resources. And that's what God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, to be managers of what God has made and to provide for it and take care of it. And that's what stewardship really is all about recognizing that it's not my stuff, it's God's stuff, and I'm blessed to receive it and to apply it. That's what I want to keep in my mind. So what is tithing? Well, tithing just means in the Old Testament, 10%. And should a Christian give a tithe? Is it a requirement? You cannot find a New Testament requirement for tithing. Uh, Jenny and I chose to tithe after prayer and discernment and some coercion originally on her part, but I love her so much. I probably loved her more than I love the thought of giving at the moment, but that did change. Um, Jesus, the only compliment Jesus ever gave a Pharisee, a religious leader, was their tithing. The only compliment he ever gave. It's in Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Well, that's usually what he said. But then he said, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. That's good. He's not critiquing that. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, those latter that he mentioned, without neglecting the former. And since that's the only compliment he ever gave a Pharisee, I'm on. I'm like, I don't need the law. I don't need to be told. I just looked at that and said, I love Jesus. I'm in. That's where we went with it. Now, I'm not saying that's where you would go with it, but that's where we went with it. And I'm glad we did. For me personally, uh, tithing was a thumbs up for us. And I'm grateful. And I'm glad we started it before we got into debt and all the other stuff. House payments now, oh man. Like, the young generation trying to buy a house our two girls have over $2,000 a month in house payments each. 
Um, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I'm just ballparking it, but I am blown away. Now, what does that do to your budget? It's hard. It is no picnic. It's getting harder. I'm told it's reaching up towards 3,000. That's tough. To start, though, early and plan early was a major help for us. But let's say, for instance, you're deep in debt, you can barely make ends meet, the, the money is really tight, your resources are thin. Remember the widow's might. Why was it that Jesus said that whatever she was able to give was greater than any other amount? If our hearts are in the right place, then it's not the amount. It's the heart, ourselves, our very being given to God that matters the most. Don't think for a minute that God is sideways with you because of the current circumstances you're facing. Where's your heart? That's so important, more than anything else. Then sixth, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. One of my favorite little humor bits here was a guy marooned with another fellow on an island. One guy was pacing back and forth like it was the last day of his life. He's all worried and anxious and upset and wringing his hands. And what are we going to do? We're going to die out here. The other man's sitting in the sand, relaxing, soaking up the sun, very relaxed and chilled out, appeared to have no concerns at all. The first man says, aren't you scared at all? We're stuck out here. We're going to die. No, 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 I'm not worried at all, said the second man. I made a $100,000 commitment to our church building fund, and my pastor's going to find me. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Don't give to get. Don't give to get. That's not grace. That's merit. That's not God's grace. Remember, to excel at the grace of giving. That's what we want to do, grace. So thank God for what God provides. Thank God for the grace and the opportunities we have to give to share his blessings with others, the church and others, remembering who provides for our daily bread. What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day, today, our daily bread. That's key. Thank God for every blessing. Then seventh and lastly, there's this one. Give so others will thank God too. Give so others will thank God too. Giving is not a debt you owe, someone said. It's a seed you sow. And that's so true. Second Corinthians 9 says this. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Never forget the results of our giving may be totally un, unknown to you, unseen. Missions, support around the world, people coming to faith in Jesus in countries we may never, ever go to. 
we may never see the church there. We may never see the Bible studies. We may never see somebody come to faith in Jesus in those countries. We may not realize that people in our own communities are coming to faith because of the ministries that we're involved in. But it's happening. And when we all get to heaven, do you suppose you're going to meet some of them? I think ultimately our, all, all our gratitude is going to be geared towards Jesus, right? But I think in those other moments, maybe when we're side by side, there will be a real thank you for each other, that we shared this life together, that we ministered together, that we gave and others came to faith in Jesus, and there's a collective celebration that goes on and on. My friend Galen went through a lot uh, before he died from cancer. The, the most difficult spot in his ministry was when he was uh, the solo pastor at a church in Tri-Cities. And the church was split 50-50 between those that were biblically rooted and wanted what the Bible said to come to fruition in their church. And then there was the other crowd that just wanted to have a good time. And it was horrible. The, his house was broken into during that time of conflict, rifled. Um, the treasurer had to be ordered by the elders to pay his salary every month because she didn't like him. All the kind of weird stuff going on. In the end, the biggest, most painful critique he received was to be told that he was simply too spiritual. Wow. The message about giving is about grace. It's a spiritual message. It's, it's about our identity in Christ. Oh, God, you've done so much for me. I'm all in. That's where it all starts. I'm all in. I'm yours. Use me. Galen was used by God in that congregation, but he eventually had to, was moved on by, the, by a presbytery that didn't know what they were doing, to be honest with you, and took the wrong path, I think. Instead of rejuvenating the church, they just tried to keep the, the majority happy. He went on to a church where they left their previous denomination and went solo, and they were negotiating bits and pieces of the church, and about even down to rattles in the nursery. Who's going to keep what and who what belonged to whom? And finally, he and the leadership looked at the group and said, you can have it all. And they said, what are you talking about? All? What you? No, 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 no. He says, you can have it all. We're just going to walk away. Nothing. We don't want a crayon. You know what God did? A movie theater opened up with a great price. They bought the movie theater, and the church grew and grew and grew. But they started without even a crayon to their name. What did they do to get through those hard times? They gave themselves first to God, not to stuff. First to the spiritual truths of Scripture applied and not to programs or attitudes that were not in line with Jesus. I, I love Galen because I watched my friend go through those hard times and I thought to myself, Lord, I am so grateful that I'm not in that circumstance. But at the same time, I saw a hero of the faith one of my best friends, and he has had an impact on my life. And all I can say at the close of this message about giving is clearly hear this. It is not 
about the money. It is not about the stuff. It's about the Lord's rule and reign in your life and the love of God that pours out by the Holy Spirit into you and into me and then overflows willingly and cheerfully and thoughtfully in ministry to the world around us for the glory of God. It's a powerful gift that we've been given, grace. Let grace be what drives us in return with love in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, (laughs) thank you so much for your love for us that you would give us your Son who was willing and able to die on the cross satisfying your justice and providing mercy for us, Lord God, that through faith, by your grace, our sins have been forgiven and you've declared us righteous. We are your children, brothers and sisters in Jesus. We thank you, God, that as we watch the life of Jesus, as we read and we learn and we grow, we see how generous and giving Jesus always was, is, and always will be. We're thankful, Father, that we can model that for the world around us, that they could see that we we go to church Sunday mornings, we give, not because there's some thing we have to do or duty, but Lord, it's all rooted in love, your love, and the grace that you've given us in Christ that moves us. So thank you, Father, for the privilege of giving. Thank you, Father, for the year that lies ahead We pray for those here in the congregation today that struggle financially, that you will find find that blessing for them, that you'll help them make ends meet and provide for them. And Lord God, that may be even the church pitching in. We have emergency funds. Thank you that we're in this together for the glory of your name. May no one feel inadequate. May no one worry needlessly about amounts. Lord God, we pray that in each and everyone here today, every single heart will be aligned with you with love in our hearts, filled with your grace, that we can excel in the grace of giving for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'm excited about 2024 because for us, it's a new year. Now, God's not got that perspective. We're in Kairos time. You know what that means? God's time. Do you believe that God's at work? I do. And may that warmth and assurance and encouragement, the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and inspire all of us now and forever with his great love and grace. And all of God's people could say, Amen. God bless you. Come on down for the Tunisia talk. And I think deacons have a brief meeting as well. God bless. Have a great week.